0: are listening to the of Podcast, the Conversation advancing Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry. So I'm, my name is Dan Wilson, and I'm with uh, the Student Outreach. We're a 15-month-old department of a 30-year-old ministry called Harvest USA. Harvest USA, for uh, 35 years, has been helping sexually struggling people and their loved ones in Jesus name. Started out as a ministry to the homosexuals in downtown Philly and has is, is reached out to an evangelical uh, equipping ministry to help churches minister to people with sexual struggles, all kinds of stuff. And uh, so uh, last year, uh, or 15 months ago, I moved up from the Chattanooga Regional Office to Philadelphia Uh, after being with harvest for 10 years doing general harvest work to focus on students and the way we're doing that is we want to equip people like you parents and anyone who's working with students 12 to 23 through college age junior high tween through through college age to help them disciple kids in christ-centered sexuality so i'm excited to be a part of this ministry i have um, three part-time seminary students working with me and we're trying to develop the tools or fit in your gun so you can shoot it, uh, you know, the truth gun. Is that okay? And that's not really a politically correct uh, metaphor, but, you know, I'm from Tennessee, so. Uh, I grew up Southern Baptist and uh, am ordained an PC, uh, ordained PCA guy now. Uh, I'm kind of a Greek geek, sort of a Bible theology nerd, but I'm an ecclesiology nut job. That means I'm passionate about the church, and I love being with you guys because you love some of God's unlovable people. I mean, watching junior high kids eat is just such a, takes a special person that can endure and even enjoy that. So uh, I'm glad to be with you guys. You encourage me. I wanna share with you um, something that's brand new. Uh, Two weeks ago, we launched the student outreach uh, website and we're writing blogs for you for the parents in your ministry and for the students in your ministry. Later on we'll be having videos and then down the road curriculum that you can, you know, stick it in your small groups or in your mentoring groups, right? I want to show you a video that we have on on our website to give you a a snapshot of what we do. (laughs) Every week we'll be uh, producing a blog for parents, youth workers, and students. So um, please uh, come to the website, come by my table, pick up an info card, uh, and join the conversation. The blogs have comment sections. We want to hear from you youth ministry professionals and uh, have your questions, comments, even snide remarks so we can uh, sharpen what we're doing to help you and and the parents that uh, we're trying to help disciple our kids. Uh, and these are things you can share with with social media. So if you find a snippet, uh, a blog that you think it will make your students think in a certain way, you know it's there for you to use. All right, let's uh, let's jump in here. So you're at your favorite coffee shop with one of your students, and you're not alone. It's there too. Or at least you strongly suspect it is. It was when you were their age. And the golden rule of ministry is to do and to say what you needed done and said when you were in their situation. You know the stats. You know the stresses and the insecurities that your students feel and that this particular student has. And yet it's so easy to ignore the elephant in the room, to ignore the elephant of sexual struggle. It's so uh, hard to talk about it, to go there, to even broach the subject. So why don't we ask what we need? Uh, why don't we ask them what we need to be a- what we needed to be asked? Something like, "How is your struggle with with porn?" Or in a female scenario, um, "How is your struggle for sexual purity in your relationships and in your mind?" The elephant of sexual struggle is, and with with, with not only with uh, the sin itself, but with guilt and shame and the hardness of heart that sets in and the unbelief in the goodness of God. It's right there in the room. So what's holding us back? Is it embarrassment about the topics? Uh, Do we feel inadequate because we don't know what to say? Do we feel inadequate because this has been an area of our own struggle? I mean, aren't we all somewhat or in large degree sexually broken individuals needing a savior to redeem our, our hearts? Well, if you and I feel inadequate, it's because we are. But, This conference has been playing the card of union with Christ over and over again, and that's what qualifies us. He has not only called us to himself as sons and daughters, but he's called us to this ministry. So he qualifies us. As the Puritans used to say, God can strike a straight blow with crooked sticks. Isn't isn't that a good thing? Uh, I've been with Harvest now for 10 years, and I'll just tell you, uh, I've talked about sexuality from... All kinds of church settings, you know, this type of setting, to little churches out that you have to turn by the tractor and the cow to find. In one place, I was introduced one morning at a men's conference, and they said, "We have Dan Wilson here, and he's an expert in sexual sin. Give him a round of applause." And <laughs> and I was the only one that got it. So, uh, and it it is true. I have struggled with sexual sin since since my. Uh, you know, pre-teen days, I was introduced to my father's pornography uh, and uh, have known that idolatry. Uh, and it's still a fight. I still have to fight the good, fight of the faith. It's not something I have been entirely sanctified from. So we're inadequate. But Jesus loves, eno- loves us enough to keep using us and keeping us um, uh, exercising our faith while we minister to other people. Our union with Christ frees us to repent of our idol of comfort. Because it's the comfort versus the call of Christ that is keeping us back from going there, from having that conversation, from embracing those awkward, awkward moments to broach the subject. Our reputation is safe. Our identities are secure. And God is working in us and through us. So we can reject the fear of man to talk to that young man or that young woman or to address the group in public teaching, the porn elephant in everyone's room. So what do we say? Is that a question you have? What do we say about this? Do we have the clarity of what's wrong with porn? Is it it just the nudity? No, it's more than the nudity or the porn or sexting. Porn fights against the main goals of our ministry with students. Our main goal, we need to keep this in the forefront of our heart and our mind, is to help them grow in faith repentance, and love. This is why porn is about the gospel. It's a gospel issue. Therefore, it's a gospel opportunity. Our lives are meant to be lived in faith towards God, daily putting our trust in Him as Savior. Our lives are meant to be lived in daily repentance, turning from the flesh, the old self, the old habits, and by faith trust Jesus. And our lives are meant to be lived a life of love, not selfishness, a life of love and service toward other people. So the goal of student ministry is to produce students who repent and put their faith in Jesus day in and day out, in response to God's love, are freed to love others and not try to take and get life from other people. So this is the general backdrop that helps us analyze the effect porn is having on our teens and young adults in the church. Why? Because porn shatters faith, repentance, and love. Porn teaches a worldview, a powerful and dark worldview. Sexual sin is not a a new problem. You know, when Jesus was addressing his disciples, he said the first thing that comes out of your heart that's inclined to evil, the first thing on his list was porneia, the Greek word what we get porn from. So his disciples, this was the first thing on their list because Jesus always was a very relevant teacher. Uh, So it's not new, but now lust is internet-enabled. And, uh, you know, in the tides of, 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 of a culture, our culture has really changed. Uh, now, I mean, in our generation, in your generation, and their generation, just wave upon wave of tsunami. Hey, if I can't make up a word every time I speak, you know, what am I going to do? <laughs> tsunami type changes. So I want to go over the, the pillars that hold up this part- pornified worldview. Porn presents a fake, and false view of sex in relationships. It makes life just about sex. Sex is all that's important in life. We need to be teaching our students that porn teaches us that the end of life is our pleasure. That uh, sex isn't a bad thing, but porn turns sex into an ultimate thing. Porn turns God's uh, great God-given vehicle into a destination. Sex is a vehicle to grow and to share intimacy. But when it's made an end of itself, it's like loving the 747 that's supposed to take you to Hawaii. 747s are really cool, but being in Hawaii is better. It's confusing the means and ends and making an idol of the means. Porn presents and teaches that the sex act is what matters in a relationship. Relationships are not about building life together over time. It's about how much sex you can get. Porn says that the most important thing in life is sex. A worldview, in its most basic and practical terms, gives meaning to th- four elements. How we view ourself, others, God, and then the, just the general point of life. So what does porn teach? Porn teaches something about me, I. Need sex, not just want sex. I need it. It's a need. It's the goal of my life. And others are there to provide it for me according to my desires. And then I can spiritualize and baptize God into my sexual uh, appetites and lifestyle. Why? God wants me happy. And I need to be sexually healthy to be happy because you can't be happy without being sexually active. Isn't that the mantra of our world? It's so easy to baptize that. Apologetically, students are growing up thinking, oftentimes subtly, that sex is the be-all and end-all. And we want to expose this lie to them that sex is actually not going to do this for them. It's not going to satisfy. It's an idol. And point them to, to true life and true satisfaction and true meaning in the knowledge and love of Jesus Christ. Another pillar that we need to be teaching our students is that porn disconnects sex from love and respect. It makes it just about me. Porn teaches a radical self-centeredness, fits in with the radical individualism of our culture. We're consumers. We consume everything, including sexuality. We include sex is commo- a commodity. So we consume it, in. if we consume other people in the process, that's just it is what it is. So we need to teach students that this view of porn and sexuality is dehumanizing. It's inhumane. It's falling far from the glory of God. And it fall from the glory of being made in the image of God. Porn teaches that people exist for my needs and for your needs. And respect and true love will have to take a backseat to that. Apologetically, students are growing up thinking that life is all about them and that sex is just for their fun. We need to teach them that true life is meant to be lived in love and service for other people like Christ. That's what Christ-likeness is all about. Another pillar that we need to be teaching our students is that porn normalizes perversions. Isn't it heartbreaking to know that a 7th and 8th grade girl knows what a threesome is? Porn diminishes human dignity. It normalizes things like group sex, degrading acts, anger and sex and violence, homosexuality, bondage. It opens the door to an appetite to child pornography. Porn prevents perverts manhood and womanhood. It teaches a fallen and raunchy view of manhood and womanhood, of what it is to be a real man, or what it is to be valued, uh, and what sexual attitudes a desirable woman must have. Porn uh, pushes perversity to unheard levels in, in a, a rapid escalation. Uh, here's what many people don't realize is that porn can sink its, sink its teeth into us so quickly and that once you look at one level of porn, then it, you're not satisfied until you look at more and more perverse images. This is a, uh, there's a massive hookup culture in our culture today and it really is the new norm and it goes hand in hand with the porn worldview. So porn and sexual sin via technology like Tinder reinforce the new norm and put biblical sexuality in the perspective that it's what's wrong, that it itself is perversion, that we are Christian prudes. Pornography teaches that marriage is confining Normalizes the hookup culture. It teaches that marriage is confining, boring, bad. That adultery or promiscuity or risky behaviors are good. It turns what's bad, good, and good to bad. And that you have to have sexual novelty to be happy, which means it actually turns marriage and commitment into perversions and hooking up into the new normality and morality. Apologetically, students think. Uh, That God's design for marriage is outdated. We need to teach students that God's design is the true sexual freedom. Where a husband and wife have the relational safety to feel free to grow in intimacy and oneness and the making of life and family together. Godly marriage alone provides the safety necessary for freedom to flourish. A fourth pillar we need to teach our, our students is that porn leads to a lifestyle of lies and deceit. It's so inauthentic. Overwhelmingly, people who look at porn hide their behavior like any addictive behavior. It goes without saying that lifestyle of lying and deceit has an effect on our relationships with others and with God. Guilt and shame become like inhaling and exhaling a person's closest uh, companionship. Porn robs us of our God-given assurance and identity in Jesus. Now, I want to parse that out. Porn use does not take away our identity in Jesus, theologically, right? But experientially, you know your students can be drenched in shame, drenched and shackled in slavery. So experientially, they can feel like such a loser, poser, hypocrite. They don't even want to close a small group in prayer. They don't feel qualified. They're close and yet so far. Um, we buy into the lies that we have to hide and cover ourselves. So students' default settings are, are uh, to live lives saturated with this guilt and shame and only student ministries that prize grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And our new identity in Jesus will allow students to, to combat this portion of the porn worldview. The last pillar that we need to, to be teaching our students is that porn promises an escape and gets you hooked. You know what, I forgot to hand out the handouts. Um, Clark, in my backpack is a stack of handouts. So if you want all these notes, uh, email me at Dan at Harvest USA. I'll be glad to share it. I just had an absent-minded professor moment. <clears throat> it's really remarkable but I even remembered to, <laughs> to find them. Okay, so porn promises an escape and gets you hooked. Porn promises that your humdrum, routine life can be exciting and beyond anything you ever asked or imagined. It promises you a false Ephesians 3, 20 and 21 that he can do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that that you ever asked or imagined. Porn is an escape. If life is hard, if you feel lonely, if you feel insecure, depressed, angry, bored, it's a way to cope. Porn will take you away from the real grind of life. It's a destructive coping mechanism. It lets you drink from its well, telling you you'll be okay, but there's nothing new under the sun like this. Jesus at the, with the wound at the well. You want water that will satisfy? We want living water? Porn promises that you, uh, porn promises that it can give you what Jesus can't or won't. See, the, the won't part of Jesus giving you what you want incites our rebellion because of our pride. And that Jesus can't give you what you really want is the under, undermining of the gospel and our hope. So we know how, I mean, you've probably heard, I'm no expert on neural transmitters or dopamine or, uh, or brain science, but you know it's a powerful, uh, ranked-up porn and masturbation are ranked up there with heroin use when it comes to addiction when it comes to making a promise to cope with the hard parts of life. Bottom line here is pornogra- pornography gives you a profound dissatisfaction with normal life. With the common graces of God, with the special graces of God, it gives you a dissatisfaction with the normal ups and downs of life and can lead to an addictive behavior that promises, makes the promises of a false functional savior. Instead of prayer instead of having a mental uh, habit of prayer we have the mental habit of lust it's like you're crying out to Aphrodite to save you for one section of time at a, at a time. porn and sexual fantasy and masturbation become the practical ways of resisting God of neglecting prayer of running from intimacy with God. it gives you salt water instead of living water so we must give our students, we must hold forth the students, not just mere sexual morality, not just rules and boundaries and a standard, or give them behavior modification techniques, like wearing a rubber band on your wrist and popping it when you have a lustful thought. We must give them the living water, that Jesus can satisfy them, that only Jesus can forgive them and bring them close to the Father. This doesn't mean they won't struggle but it means that they can develop a taste for the Lord and taste and see that He is good. This is what we need to know and teach about porn. It's not simply about nudity. What's behind porn goes to the hearts and the allegiances of our students, because they're trusting in porn and false and sexual sin. It promises companionship to the kid who feels lonely even though it's just false intimacy it promises excitement to the kid that's bored it promises comfort to the kid who desperately wants to feel good but it's robbing the place of jesus and the church this is what we need to be telling our students it's not looking at harmless stuff it's toxic to our life and we need to start very young we need to get ahead of the the curve in i think not only into the early junior high times but even to the tweens now we better get our parents on board with that, right? So be good at being a consensus builder. But here's a practical suggestion. Once a semester, starting with the seventh grade, take a night to address these topics, splitting the girls and boys up. A lot of you are already doing that. That's why I really want you guys to engage in our blogosphere so we can hear what's, what's working, what didn't work, what got you fired. When the, when the deacons pulled the yellow rider truck in front of your house and to help you move on. No, we, we, need to, we need to be encouraging one another with what, what's helpful. So how, now, speaking of helpful, how do we help our students that are struggling? How do we engage them back in that coffee shop after they've made this initial disclosure to you? You know that pornography doesn't seem like it's a relational sin, but it is. And so it needs a a relational remedy. It's false intimacy and it takes the real intimacy of ministering to sinful people. Galatians 6, 1 and 2 says, Brothers and sisters, when you detect and catch someone caught in a trespass, you who are spiritually mature must restore them in a spirit of meekness and gentleness. You bear up their burdens, their heavy, oppressive burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. So it's very relational, bearing with these hurts and burdens that are the sins beneath the sins, or the brokenness beneath the, the the inciting sin. Number one, when we are engaging our students, we have the goal of rebuilding the triad. That's our little catchphrase for faith, repentance, and love. Teaching them that they need to trust God, not the porn. That porn hinders repentance, that porn radically turns love into an ugly monster, turns it into lust. But helping them see that, helping them want more. So the goal is to rebuild the triad and that's the overall trajectory of our times together how do you help a student who is struggling with sexual sin live these lives, uh, live a life of faith, repentance, and love? That's that's the type of questions that will be driving us. Help your students look for practical ways to put their faith in Christ and repent. This probably has to do with maybe the so smartphone. Maybe it needs to be a little less smart. You know, give them a dumb phone. I mean, we know stories of kids have gone to their their mom or dad and said, look, I can't handle this. This is eating me up. Supporting that, putting that out as as an idea or encouraging people. Helping them love others instead of being so self-absorbed. Practically loving their siblings, their family, their friends, being involved in projects and ministry. You know, Many of you have, and probably all of you, if I had you raise your hand, have had someone disclose pornography use or some sort of sexual sin. And it's easy for two to three months to blow by, and you know what? We haven't checked in on them. So we need to set regular times to meet. Um, An episode of acting out and getting caught only shows that there's been a, a persistent, a long struggle with persistent temptation. And we don't want to tempt our students... With another temptation, and that is to say, Oh, it's okay. It's all right. Uh, I'm, I, that was one time slip up. I'm doing fine now. We know that our sanctification doesn't work like that, so theirs doesn't either. So be faithful to regularly check in. Once a week is preferable. In the conversations, we have to go there. We have to talk about it, absolutely. Say, How is it going? Um, if you're at Starbucks, uh, you know, you might have to use some code language, you know? How's Aunt Betty? There could be code language for something that they struggle with. Um, but you're not there just to deal with the problem. Their problem is not that they're looking at, at pornography and masturbating if they're a teenage boy. That's just the presenting problem. So treat them not as a problem but as a person and they're a person they need to, you need to get to know deeply. We teach something in, at, at uh, the Student Outreach called the tree model. The, what's on the, the branches is the sexual acting out sin. But there's a whole lot going on deeper. Their worldview, their desires, their context, all the things they didn't get to choose that affect them. That's like a soil. And then the seed, their, their old nature, if, they're, if they are a believer, then they have uh, the old nature fighting against the new nature. Um, if they're not a believer, then that's the real problem. Set an offensive lineman. The idea here is that they can't do hard work while they're getting sacked every play of the game. Meaning, if if they haven't dealt with devices, if they haven't dealt with... Uh, <laughs> The offensive lineman is anybody or anything that can block access to sin. So if this is helping them with certain relationships or certain technology, be on the lookout for offensive linemen that you can implement into your struggling student's life. They will need that so that then they can do the heart work. It's not a substitute for that. Just because they get covenant eyes doesn't fix their heart. It fixes their phone, but they need that. Can you imagine being a teenager with an iPhone with your with your heart and your past? It would not have been good. Teach students that accountability must be a lifelong spiritual discipline, so they need to start practicing it in junior high, through, junior, through senior high, and then have a game plan for when they hit the campus of who they're going to connect with. That's something that parents need to be involved with, but the parents are going to be passing the baton off to them so that then they have... This, as a spiritual discipline, I need accountability lifelong. I'll need it with pornography until I get married and everything is great, right? <clears throat> That's a whole other lecture. Um, ask good questions. Are you a good question asker? I'm not because I just ask you a yes or no answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in, your, in your handout, there is a reference to uh, David Pellison's x-ray questions and it's an awesome article. You can find it several places on the internet. And questions just uh, for those one-on-one times are great. It's like if if your student is like a forest, there are paths, these questions are paths into the forest. They go deeper and deeper and deeper. Discovering not just the surface level things, but the motives, the allegiances, the false beliefs this is what God did to Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't have to ask them questions, but he did. Where are you, Adam? So I'm not going to uh, uh, delve into this right now for sake of time, but ask questions that reveal our students' inner world. And we also need to help them in practical repentance to break a cycle of sexual sin. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 talks about sowing to the flesh and reaping it. It's like an agricultural cycle. We're sowing to the Spirit and reaping eternal life and fellowship with God. So I'm going to go over something that's uh, very fast, so listen, hurry up and listen. Uh, it, where does, a, where does a, sexual, a cycle of sexual sin start? It starts in the, in the mind and our consciousness where we are experiencing sin and suffering, maybe even in the opposite order, suffering and sin. Meaning, we're experiencing, uh, our students are experiencing uh, loneliness, the stresses of life. They may not be directly sexual temptations, or they may be sexual temptations. The way people are dressing, the way people are saying, something that comes through in a text. um, And they trigger them to start thinking about this temptation. Help your students understand and identify the various sins and sufferings they face and their lives get specific. Because if they're ignoring this suffering, the suffering of the sin that is in this world that invades them or their own you know, lusts and flesh, then, again, they can fall onto just a very behavioralistic way of life instead of looking at the issues of the heart. Are they having a bad day at school? Um, did someone send them a, a sext? And, and so they're experiencing this and then a decision point comes and this is a, it's like a tunnel vision of where they're going to turn to to deal with this temptation this 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 uh, sense of suffering this sense of lack um, the temptation is saying I can save you at least for 15 minute chunks of your life I can save you I can take care of your your need. And so at the decision point they're either going to turn in faith to Christ and reach out to God and to uh, or God's people or to, to truths that help them or they're going to start engaging in rituals. A ritual, actually you can look down in your notes, it's uh, down after acting out, rituals are the, the the way you pave the road to the sin. It's like the small sins before the big sin. It's, um, you know, people who, who use pornography, uh, they have to get alone to do it. So how do, they, how do they seek and cultivate isolation? That's a good example of a ritual. Help your students see how they make decisions within themselves regarding where they turn for salvation at any moment of their day. That's that, uh, that functional savior level salvation. Then acting out, this is when they're either uh, acting out sexually by themselves or with other people. This is the pleasures of sin. This is the payoff. This is the promise. This is, this is the uh, chocolate chip cookies at the end of the, the rainbow. How about that for some bizarre... Hey, you're youth people. You can do that, right? So um, help your students uh, see that after the, the, the rituals, help them see that there are the, the, the ways they pave their own way to acting out. They don't just poof, find themselves in, the, in a bad place that they've, they've journeyed there. Help them see how this, uh, they rise, this arises in their circle. Then they come to a point of, uh, after the acting out, to a point of reaping. They, they reap the consequences of either faithfulness and, and obedience or disobedience and trusting and faithing another Savior. The works of the flesh, for example. And so what are they getting hit with here? The pleasures of sin have evaporated and now guilt. I did it. Shame. I'm broken. I'm bad. I'm defective. I'm hopeless case. God doesn't love me. Well, my youth pastor says God loves me, but he doesn't like me. He has to love me because he's God, but he doesn't like me. What... what, Whatever head trash is going on there, it's the antithesis of union with Christ. It's antithesis of the gospel. It's anti-gospel thinking, and that's not comfortable. That's pain, and when they're suffering that, this can very easily trigger a whole other cycle of either using pornography or sexual acting out or some other ways to to medicate the brokenness that they're feeling. So where do you break the cycle? Well, one way to break the cycle is at the, at the top of the cycle. When you're first experiencing that suffering, to turn to Jesus. But the answer is, every place on the cycle, a Christian can turn to Christ. And there's no condemnation. There's no uh, blame. There's no, you should have called on me earlier. Now, there's the come boldly before the throne of grace. Don't grovel. God doesn't make us grovel. So you you break the cycle through faith and then repentance. Parents. What about parents? Uh, Especially with junior and senior high students, we want to encourage students to find a trusted parent to open up about their struggles so that they know they're not alone. And this probably will open up opportunities for you or you can uh, preemptively have some... Teaching with your parents that uh, yes, their little innocent angel will struggle with sexual sin. You can you can drop the stats page on them to show them that only three percent of boys and like thirteen percent of girls don't uh, either experience or choose to use porn in their life. So let me quickly wrap up. Because of Jesus, be courageous address the elephant, the big pink elephant in the room. How would you have felt if a loving and wise youth pastor had addressed your issues, your elephants, when you were 14 and stuck with you for those years until you graduated? Wouldn't your story be a little different? Teach students about porn. Teach them that it is idolatry. Teach them that uh, it breaks their faith and it breaks down their relationships. And teach, uh, help students put their faith in Christ and practically repent of their sin and love others. This, uh, when we bring, when we start addressing the elephant both in the one-on-one and in the group, we can really then as, uh, do what Scripture says. Fight the good fight of the faith. This is a big fight. And if, we don't, if we're not addressing it, then in some ways our youth ministry is irrelevant to one of the hugest, if not the biggest issue in the hearts of our students. But when we get it out in the open, as a youth culture within your church, it can really be a game changer. And if you have students coming through your ministry who have really learned the gospel implications about sexual struggle... Aren't they pretty dangerous you know, in that wickedly good way? Do you see that vision? How if they learn to trust and follow Jesus with their sexual desires, learning to do community, learning to do honesty, learning to do confession, learning to do real grace-based accountability, instead of perpetuating a life of isolation and double life you know, outside of high school into the young adult age and into marriage, what a wonderful fruit of righteousness and harvest we can see through that. To learn more about Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry, please visit our website at ministry.com. Music has been provided by High Street Hymns. You can access their music at www.highstreethymns.com.
1: Hallelujah, allelu-